Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Lloyd's going to tell you a little bit about, give him a big round of applause. Lloyd is a wonderful friend and part of Riverside and has been for a good few years. Um, for those of you who don't know Lloyd, he has cancer, but I'm going to let him explain where he's at with that and what God has been doing. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is going to be really different because uh, I prepared a lot for this. And I was going to tell you about a song called Foundations, which has become close to my heart. We sang it this morning. I went, Lord... You've just taken away some of the things I was going to say. But, yeah, I'm going to reinforce it, but I'm just going to say it from the heart because I'm looking around here and I know also people that aren't here today. We all have problems in our lives. We all carry fears, as was said earlier. But our God is great. So I'm going to start just by reading from the Bible because this has been burned on me. Uh, It's from Psalms. And it's Psalm 138, and it'll become clear why it's close to me and should be close to you, and I'm sure it will be. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's the message I want to get to you today. Not the message about what God has done for me, but what God can and will do for you. If you can release those very natural fears that are inside you. There will be people in here today who have cancer like me, who may soon find out they have cancer or some other disease there is so much disease in the world and as we get older we some of us get into ill health for me three years ago I was diagnosed with uh, cancer it started in prostate it's inoperable and it had spread so they told me a year last June while in the car with the whole family they announced to me this is your last year Awful for the family. I didn't enjoy driving back from Cornwall. (laughs) But uh, that, that was then, and I'm here now. So that's the first lesson. The first lesson is, I'm here now. And I feel like ruins many days. But the Lord sees foundations. You're not finished if you're... If you've been diagnosed with any sort of illness, if it's getting you down and you have fear... Bring it to the Lord, like in Psalm 138 there, because the Lord is next to us. The Lord is beside us. Many times in my life, I've not really seen the Lord, but the Lord has been lifting me up and been with me. And he has been amazing. And some of you have heard my story before that... uh, with my journey of palliative cancer, but I just want to tell you about my journey in the last 
three weeks. And I'm telling you because this is, could be your journey. The Lord wants this to be your journey. The Lord wants to help you and relieve you. I don't know. No man knows the time of the hour. We're all going to die. Some of us sooner than later. But the Lord has you has in, in his hands. And the Lord can do mighty things. Now just two Mondays ago, on actually two Sundays ago, Martin Franks here came up to me. And many people are praying for me in this church, and I'm really grateful. But Martin said, I want to pray for you. And I went, Martin, I'm tired. Just let the Lord, just let the Lord do what he wants. He knows, he knows, you know, that if the Lord should tarry. And, and I was tired. Not so much depressed, but very tired. And Martin, but once I, I foolishly said to Martin, I promise. And if I promise, I have to go. So on Monday, I, I came in here with no expectations. This was two Mondays ago. He was getting ready to go to, on, on a short break to the Forrester Dean. I thought, he really doesn't need this, Lord. And Lord, you know my heart. You, you know everything about me. You know I put on a brave face, but sometimes I'm in ruins. And you just build me up again. Foundations. And uh, I said, Lord, well, okay, I'm here. And I said to Martin, don't bother, Martin. And that's true, isn't it? I said to you, don't bother. Uh, I really don't. The Lord will do whatever. I'm tired. And Martin said, no, I'm going to pray. And he was so determined, I went, all right then, I give in. You pray. Well, he prayed for me here. I, I broke down, actually. Uh, I, I, because of my old job in the fire service, I, uh, I've got a hard carapace, a hard skin. And I hadn't really, I didn't even cry when my parents died. I loved my parents, but yeah, I'd got this professional persona. But it broke down from the first time since I was 16 in front of Martin. And I told him some of my fears and some of the things I see. And then Martin just said, can I put my hand on you? And he put his hand on me. And I felt the power of not Martin, but the whole church. All those people that pray for me regularly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because it really does work. So if you're in trouble this morning... Get your friends, get people around you, and get them to pray for you. Because the power of prayer isn't just a, an abstract thing. It is real. It is a tool that the Lord wants to use in your life, your life, your life. And, wow, Martin prayed for me. And I actually, I still came out tired. I'd like to say, oh, well, it was all a miracle and it was all fantastic. Well, it wasn't at that point. I walked out the door to the car, didn't feel any difference. I had a pain in my, because of my cancers all over my body. I had specific areas that were in pain on the pain scale for just, you know, for hospital purposes. 6.5 to 7 out of 10. 6.5 to 7. And I was really suffering. I got in the car, drove home, and I came in and I thought, I'll go up to the spare bedroom. I like to call it the office, but it's the spare bedroom. I'm not that smart. Don't have a separate office. And as I'm walking up the stairs, I went, oh, 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 And I don't want to cheapen this, but by the time I got to the top of the stairs, I called for Therese because I said, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But do you know what was more amazing? As When I walked out of here, I, the load had lifted off me. The spiritual, the psychic load. I'm not sure what to call it. I, I was 
alive. So even before this started to happen, the Lord was preparing me in the car. Then that lifted. And then Martin said, I'm between treatment. My treatment immunotherapy has failed. I've had 40-odd radiotherapies. I've had targeted radiotherapy. I've had uh, immunotherapy, and that has failed, and so that's not good news. So they said, we're going to give you radium therapy. And they sort of I dropped off the planet. They'd forgotten about me. And my cancer doubles every six weeks. And my cancer had doubled because it was over six weeks. Martin and others prayed, and Martin specifically on that day. And next morning, when I get up, one thing, all pain is gone, and it's still gone. And this would have killed me before. It doesn't look like much to you, but it's a lot to me. And, you know, all this. Because I've got, I've got cancer in the bones of my pelvis. I've got it in my ribs, in my shoulder. And I have no pain there. And then I pick up the phone on Tuesday morning. And what is, what, what is it? Can you come in? We want to do your radiotherapy. So my radiotherapy probably starts this week before my cancer doubled again. So isn't the Lord gracious? And, and then from that, it's been most incredible because the Lord has led me to other people who are suffering. And yes, I can tell my story, but the real story is the Lord wants to heal you. People can say, well, you're not healed, you're, you're terminally ill. Well, guess what? The quality of my life is fantastic. We're all terminally ill, as I said. It's all going to happen at some time. But there'll be people in here that, like me, sometimes feel like ruins. And it's okay to feel like ruins, but know our Saviour can lift us up. Know our Saviour at any moment can take this away, that you can be dealt with. And the message this morning, which I've read from Psalms, is the Lord is with you. So if you've had a diagnosis or you're suffering... Today, when you go home, just lay it before the Lord. Say, Lord, you know all things about me. You know me from the womb to my end, from the alpha to the omega. Lord, deal with me. And I tell you, he will. That, and, and sing that song, Foundations, to yourself. Or even just remember, I feel like ruins. But you see foundations. And then he builds upon it. So, amen to that. I'm going to shut up now. This wasn't what I was going to say. I had loads prepared. But really the message is for you, not for me, not what has the Lord done for me. I'm personally very grateful. But it's what the Lord can do for you today. If you're worried about anything, it can be something that people may think in the course of things. That young people are doing exams. They can worry themselves sick on exams. I used to. And, and it can be at the other end of your terminally ill. Or maybe you're not terminally ill because the Lord can do all things. So have faith in God. Walk by faith and know that our God will deliver. Amazing. Give God the glory because God's amazing. And that is an example of somebody who is living with joy with a terminal illness, knowing that God is with him through every circumstance. And I know that he was in incredible pain um, and had been for a while. And actually, he's told me, I think you did lots of digging, didn't you, Lloyd, and moving of soil and things that he would never be able to do. Oh, he's getting back up. <laughs> oh, dear. 
I know, because this was the testimony of how amazing your healing was. I forgot the most amazing bit. I said to Therese, I'm going to have to get someone to cut our little... Sorry. I said to Therese, my wife over there, I said, "Uh, I can't cut the grass anymore. It's a small little patch. It's getting to me. Well, on that Monday after Martin spoke to me, I went out and cut the grass because I thought, yeah, while I can... Because who knows how long this will last, because every day is a bonus with the Lord. You don't, I don't have an expectation. I just get up each day and go with it. But this was the one. I ordered 2.6 tonne of logs to be delivered. And I wheelbarrowed them from the front of the house, round the back, and stacked them. And next day, just to, just to show you, the Lord can go, you are stupid, Lloyd. I woke up. I had every ache and pain you could have, except where the cancer sites are. No pain in the cancer sites, and yet I was like, well, I, I don't want to insult anyone by saying an 80-year-old man, but I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But my actual cancer sites that give me all that trouble, zero pain. So that is miraculous. Let's all be more Lloyd this week, Simon. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. Uh, okay. Follow that. Oh, no, follow that. Okay. <laughs> Back into James we go. Uh, a couple more weeks on this, this book. I know many of you chatted to me and said how much you're enjoying James. It's, um, if you've not been into James before, it's just a great little pocket uh, distilled down Jesus and wisdom, all in this very, very few... Some of you find it hard to find it in your real Bibles because it's... Uh, your real Bibles. Your paper Bibles <laughs> because it's such a thin book. It's only a couple of pages in your Bible. But there it is, chocked full of wisdom uh, from James and from the heart of God and from Jesus. Uh, Chris was due to speak today. Chris is our, but he's got flu. So I've stepped back in again at short notice. Uh, we're going to look at um, a whole section today, today around the power of speech. How we use our mouths. Um, it's funny, isn't it? You can move logs, you can get tired in your muscles, but your mouth never tires out, does it? Have you noticed? <laughs> your tongue never gets tired. Your tongue's always ready to go. Um, it doesn't tire out like other muscles in your body. Uh, so we're going to read from chapter 3. Uh, I'll put it on the screens for you. And this is James speaking. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You can see James is quite passionate about this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? 
neither can a staff, sorry, a salt spring produce fresh water. So James clearly feels passionate about words and how we use our mouths, how we use our speech. Early on in the letter, he sets his stall out on this topic back in chapter one. He, he writes this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Back to that old adage you were told at school, you've got two of these and one of these. Use them in proportion. And he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So James sees a strong correlation between what comes out of our mouths and the condition of our hearts. Hmm, we all start thinking now, don't we? Because we're all aware that sometimes we're, we don't have a, a good control over our speech. Sometimes we say things that aren't helpful. James is leaning heavily on the teaching of Jesus once again, because Jesus said this very simple and profound statement. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So how has your speech been this week? What are some of the things that you said and how do they tell you about the condition of your heart? Don't panic. Hope is ahead. Hope is ahead. James starts this uh, section with a seemingly unrelated statement about speech. It can be a confusing statement, particularly in the way it's translated in the NIV version. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And this seems to sit strangely in the midst of what James is saying. And this verse has often been quoted against pastors and teachers and leaders to sort of say you're walking on a bit of a knife edge here. Because if you get it wrong, if you say the wrong thing or you teach wrongly, God is going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. He's going to judge you more harshly. But for me, I don't think this is the essence of what James is saying here. We need to remember that last week we looked at how James talked about judging, didn't we? And we said we have to make sure we don't discriminate against people and become evil judges in our hearts. And as we move into this section, what James is trying to convey is that you and I are not called to lord it over one another. The word teachers here can be translated instructors. So I think James is saying don't proudly assume that you're qualified to become an instructor into someone else's life. Which, in fairness, we're all quite good at, aren't we? We're all quite quick to judge and and sort of make uh, value judgments about other people and the way they're living their lives. And James is saying, actually, you're not really qualified to do that. You're not really qualified to tell someone else how to live or how to behave. As we learnt last week... James says if we do that, then actually we become like these evil judges and we put ourselves under stricter judgment, which is essentially what James is saying here. If you want to become an instructor and you want to start to teach people and judge people and tell them how they should live, well, you yourself will be judged more strictly and more harshly because of that. So I think James is encouraging a spirit of humility amongst believers. You and I are called to humbly learn from each other and to humbly encourage one another. And we do this not from a superior motivation, believing that we've got it right and everyone else has got it wrong, but we do it from a motivation of wanting to encourage each other into the goodness of God. And this interpretation of this verse makes a lot of sense when you look at James's next verse, phrase. 
because we all stumble in many ways. The reason you and I aren't supposed to be lording it over each other or judging each other is because we all stumble in many ways. We're all inconsistent. We're all a bit flaky. Yeah? We all stumble in many ways. And this verse has been really softened by the NIV translation. Look at what it says in the King James. For in many things we offend all. Ooh, uh. That's a much stronger verse, isn't it? It's not just my little stumblings. Actually, the reality is, lots of things I do are really offensive to other people. Do you realise that? That you and I can offend lots of people in all sorts of different ways just by being us. That takes this to a whole different level, doesn't it? In many things that I do and I say and how I act, I can be offensive to other people. I can offend them whether I'm aware of it or not. Just by what I say or what I don't say, I can be offensive to somebody else. That's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? But James's point isn't just to leave you and I thinking about how offensive we are. What he's trying to say is, you and I are much less likely to sit in judgment on somebody else if we're aware of our own shortcomings. You and I are much, much less likely to try and lord it over somebody if we're aware of our inconsistencies and our own failings. If we have insight into our own spiritual condition. If I have an understanding how easily I can be offensive to somebody, I'm much less likely to sit in judgment over them or try and lord it over them. Because I suddenly realise I'm saying things that could be offensive to them. So if I'm more focused on sorting myself out, I'm much less likely to sit in judgment on somebody else. And as we start the journey with Jesus, we realise more and more how much we need his goodness, how much we need his mercy, how much we need his transformation in our lives, and how much we are unqualified to sit in judgment on other people. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul uh, throughout the letters in the New Testament. Paul, in the midst of his, his life, his successful ministry, planting churches, going around teaching and training. We have these beautiful epistles in our New Testament from him. In 1 Corinthians, he calls himself the least of the apostles. So, you know, a fair statement. He's not the best of the apostles. He's the least of the apostles. Ten years later, though, he's calling himself the worst of sinners. He's gone from being the least of the apostles in 10 years to the worst of sinners. Is that because he started acting up or acting badly? No, it's because he has more insight into just how much he needs God in his life. He says this in 1 Timothy 1.16. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. And receive eternal life. So throughout his life, Paul had become increasingly aware of just how much he needed God's mercy, just how much he needed God's grace in his life, describing himself as the one who needed Jesus' immense patience. Have you ever considered how much patience Jesus needs for you? Would you ever describe yourself as an example of Jesus' immense patience? I think we probably all could come to some degree if we were really honest with ourselves. All the ways we stumble, all the ways we offend, 
all the ways we're inconsistent, all the ways we get it wrong, all the ways we're quick to judge. How much patience does Jesus have with us? Paul developed an understanding and an insight as he journeyed with Jesus. He didn't become someone who was perfect and superior. Actually, he went lower and lower into God, realizing just how much mercy was needed for him. And James says this insight that stops you and I falling into the trap of becoming judges of other people. When we're acutely aware of how much we need God's mercy, we're much less likely to sit in judgment on other people. We talked last week, didn't we, about how much James enjoys the outworking of faith. He says if your faith needs to be alive, there needs to be a heartbeat. We talked about this kind of heart trace, didn't we? The activity of the spirit in our lives. There has to be something on the monitor (laughs) Something to show that our faith isn't dead. There has to be an outworking of our faith and our belief. And for James, what's interesting is that he sees words as works. So how we speak and the words that we use and what we say, James very much sees as an outworking of our spiritual life within. How we use our mouths is really, really important to James. And in this section here, he really goes to town on that. He really goes to town, doesn't pull any punches when he starts to talk about how we use our mouths and our words. The problem of uncontrolled and damaging speech is a frequent theme throughout the Old Testament writings, particularly the wisdom writings around Proverbs in the Old Testament. And James would be acutely aware of these writings, and you can see he's leaning heavily into them. And I've pulled together just a few examples uh, from Proverbs, it talks about how we use our mouths. Here we go. When words are many, sin is not absent. Let's just pause there for a moment. <laughs> when words are many, sin is not absent. But he holds the tongue is wise. So in situations where there's lots of, wo- lots of speaking, lots of words, people quick to speak, often we end up sinning, we end up offending. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbour. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And probably the most hard-hitting, the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And there is just a few extracts from the wisdom writings of the Old Testament. There are lots and lots and lots more. And James has been acutely aware of these as he's writing this very short letter, trying to distill down the wisdom and the teaching of Jesus. And so he goes on to use these contemporary illustrations to drive home his point. He talks about putting a bit or a bridle into the mouth of a horse, a very small thing that could control a large animal. And then he talks about a very small rudder on a ship able to steer a massive vessel through the sea. And these illustrations are about something small controlling or directing something big. So a small bridle can direct or control a big horse. A small rudder can direct or control a large ship. And now comes the tongue. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And he isn't saying our tongues are like a rudder. They don't sort of control our direction of our lives, but they do give an indication of where we're heading. They do give an indication, our words give an indication of our course and Direction. James really sees how we use our mouths as a big issue. He says this, doesn't he? Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
James sees mastery over our mouths as real evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Because he sees our mouths and our tongues and what we say as a big, big problem. And he uses really graphic speech to describe it in the next section. He says, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. And all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So your tongue is a, is a fire. It's a world of evil. It's a full of deadly poison. It's a spark that can burn down a forest. It's something that's so evil, it can set the course of your whole life and end up sending you to, well, the word here is Gehenna, which was a valley of judgment outside Jerusalem. It's translated hell in your NIV. James feels fairly passionate about this topic. Can you tell? He really, really goes to town using the graphic imagery to describe how important he sees how we use our words. He lists four animal groups here, animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. These were the four animal groups that would have been known in the ancient world. He's covering all the bases of the creatures here. And he's saying it doesn't matter whether you're an animal, a bird, a reptile, or a sea creature, they can all be tamed. But the one thing that can't be tamed humanly is the tongue. It's untamable by human ability. It seems that James thinks the tongue and our tongue is uniquely powered by evil. It's like supercharged by evil. And it has this unique ability to damage and to poison and to burn things to the ground. Is it really that dangerous? Is it really that dangerous or is James just getting above himself here? Well, I think James is inverting that childhood rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What's the reality? Sticks and stones do break bones, but bones heal. Sometimes things said to us never heal. We feel the pain of words long after we physically heal. Human words have the unique ability to damage and destroy. And unfortunately, we live in an era where social media has massively, exponentially increased that ability. If you want to have an understanding of the power of words, just look at what happens in places like Twitter and their ability to massively impact for good or for bad whole communities and countries and people groups. So human words do have this incredible ability to go far beyond what seems like a very innocuous thing, to to be magnified and cause huge amounts of damage or huge amounts of good. But now we live in a time when words can inflict more damage and incite more hatred than any point in history. If any of you have been watching the takeover of Twitter by Elon Musk, you'll be reading all about that and the fear of how moderation seems to be disappearing off that platform. James feels that for a believer, they have to be able to bring their words, their speech, under the dominion and lordship of Jesus. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Blessings and curses. For a Jew, blessing God was a key part of their devotions. It was one of their highest callings to bless God. The activity of blessing was seen as one of the highest activities of honour and praise that we could do in terms of how we use our speech. Now, we just, we, today we go, oh, bless, don't we? Oh, bless, bless, and we bless this and we bless that. But for a Jew, the activity of blessing God in prayer was one of the highest acts of devotion for them, one of the most noblest forms of speech that you could undertake. The opposite of blessing is, is cursing. Blessing is associated with life, and cursing is associated with death. And a curse in the ancient world meant that you wanted someone to be cut off completely from the goodness of God. So if you curse someone or something, you were, you were hoping they would be cut off from the goodness of God. And so for James, for your mouth to be used to bless and to curse is completely untenable. How can, how can this be? And he uses these three illustrations here. He uses fresh water and salt water, fig trees and olive trees, grapevines and fig trees, to illustrate the contradictory and inconsistent nature of a mouth that one moment is blessing and the next moment is cursing. And what makes the cursing worse is the people you're cursing have been made in God's likeness. A spring can't bring forth salt water one moment and fresh the next. A fig tree can't suddenly start producing olives and a grapevine doesn't suddenly start producing figs. And James concludes by saying, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The word salt here isn't as translated salty in your Bible. It's not usually a word just used to describe water. The word actually means bitter. It means bitter. It means piercing, sharp, bitter, acrid. That's what James is saying here. You've, you've got a spring that one moment is producing fresh water, life-giving water, sweet water, and the next moment it's producing bitter, acrid, <coughs> piercing water. James is saying a heart that's full of Jesus shouldn't be doing this. There can't be this duality in the way we live. Okay, so what do we do with all this, these powerful imagery and powerful words that have been spoken by James to us? Because we we're all aware of the inconsistency in our speech, aren't we? Well, th- the first thing I want to say to you today is don't panic. <laughs> don't panic. James says, doesn't he, we all stumble. We all stumble. We all say the wrong thing. We all use our words inappropriate. We all get it wrong. And James is fully aware of that. He knows that none of us has perfect control over our mouths. But I think the key thing is we can look to improve, can't we? We can look to get better. And Jesus is able to help us. And the second thing is to become aware of the power of your words, the power of what you say. The tongue has the power of life and death. With your tongue you can hurt, and with your tongue you can heal. That's the pair of the words that you carry. How are you using your words? How are you using your words? Your words can bring desolation to a neighbour, can bring healing to a friend. How are you using your words? Are you thinking about the impact of them? You say thousands and thousands of words a day. Are you thinking about what kind of words you're using and, and the impact of those words on other people? And sometimes what we don't say 
is as important as what we do say. Sometimes we need to bite our tongues and not say what the first thing that comes into our heads. But sometimes we need to get better at expressing love to somebody else or care to somebody else. Rather than just thinking it, we make the choice to say it and express something positive or loving. I think the third thing is your speech can be a real helpful indicator of the condition of your heart. If your speech is poor, then the condition of your heart is probably spiritually poor as well. Because Jesus said, at the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So if your speech starts to go a bit squirrely, you get a bit chippy, a bit sarky, a bit critical, a bit judgy, then I guarantee your heart's probably not in the best place with God. If I start to get chippy or sarky or snipey or judgy, Keely will say to me, darling, don't you think you should go and spend some time with the Lord? <laughs> and I will go, oh yeah, I think I might go and do that. Because left to my own devices, and left to your own devices, we swerve to rot. We swerve away from God, and we swerve back into our own selfish nature. And when my selfish nature comes to the fore, then my speech is quick to follow. So I go back and I spend some time with God, and I ask him to be restore me and to put his heart back in me and guess what happens my speech then becomes much more positive and encouraging and life-giving so your speech is like a warning light on the dashboard of your life it's really helpful as an indication of where your heart is because if your speech is going a bit south then your heart it started here it started in your heart and so something's happened and it's affected you and it's coming out your mouth because the overflow of your heart is your mouth and your words and so we go back to God and say, God, help me understand what's going on under the bonnet. I want to know what's going on in my heart that's causing me to speak this way. The great news is God can come to us and he can heal us and change and transform us and put his finger on the thing that's affecting us. It may be completely unrelated to the situation you're in. If you're fearful, like we talked about today, that can come out in all sorts of weird ways in your speech. It can make you intolerant. It can make, it can make you very quick to judge other people. It can... But at the root could be fear. You could be having an insecure moment about something in your life, but it's coming out in your speech in a different way. So we say to God, replace that bitter water in me with fresh water, please. Replace it and let my speech be good again. Lastly, I'd say, try and be consistent in your speech. Try and be consistent. Imagine if the tap in your water, sorry, the tap in your kitchen periodically sort of gave out salt water rather than fresh. You know, you fill your kettle, you put it on, make a cup of tea, salt water. Next three or four times, fresh water, fine, make a cup of tea, all good. Then suddenly, salt water again. That inconsistency would soon get you pretty tired of the tap, wouldn't it? You stop trusting the tap because you wouldn't know whether the tap was going to produce fresh water one day or salt water the next. It would be inconsistent and you stop trusting it and you'd probably stop using it and you'd probably get it replaced. Now, if your speech is inconsistent... Let's say you're not sure whether you get fresh sweet Simon or salty bitter Simon. Do you want to come and talk to me and risk that? If one day I'm more fresh and sweet and the next day I'm more bitter and acrid, would you want to come and talk to me? You probably think, mm, maybe not. Maybe I'll just give that a miss because I'm not quite sure what kind of Simon I'm going to get today. Is it sweet fresh Simon or is it bitter Simon? And you would stop trusting me because you would be made insecure by that inconsistency. And you would draw away from me because you wouldn't be sure what Simon you were going to get. 
you get nervous around me because of the inconsistency in the way I spoke to you. So consistency is really important in our speech because it helps build trust between people. If I can try and be the same here, here, out there, out there, in the car park, if you bump into me in the street, if you ring me at home, if I can be the same person and consistent in my speech, you're going to feel much more secure around me. But if you bump into me in the street and I'm all kind of hustly and, you know, why are you, why are you bugging me and, you know, it's my day off and whatever else, I don't know. If I, give, if I act that way, you're going to think, oh, dear, you know, maybe next time I won't bother speaking to that person. So being consistent in the way we use our mouths and our speech is really important for building community and trust because we want people to feel secure around us. So again, think about how you use your words. Think about creating consistency for the people around you because Jesus can help tame your tongue. He can help you with the words that come out of your mouths. And we can become a people who use them consistently to bless others and to bless God. Okay, we're going to come into London. I've, I've had to condense this a little bit for today, but that's, that's fine. The key thing is, how do you want Jesus to work in your life around this area? Because consistency in your speech might be hard for you. You might find yourself fragmented. The whole point of James' letter is to bring us to wholeness and maturity, but you might find yourself fragmented because you find yourself being one person in one place and another person in another place. You might find it much easier to speak... Uh, in one place one way, and be another person in another place. You might feel pressured to act a certain way, to speak a certain way, in a work setting or a social setting. And then you come into church and you have to be a different person again. James says, why not, don't we become people who are whole and not fragmented? Let's be consistent wherever we are. So I think Jesus is here today and may want to help us with that consistency, may want to help us with that fragmentation. You may want, feel God has talked to you about the things that you've said. You may feel convicted about some of the things you've said recently. You may feel convicted about some of the things you haven't said recently. If you're able, why don't you stand with me and we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us in these last few minutes. God wants to bring you and I to wholeness. He wants to take our fragmented selves and to bring us back together, to join us back together by his spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just come and we just wait on you now. Lord, you want to get under the hood. You want to get into our hearts again this morning. And we know that our speech is a good litmus test for our hearts. And God, if we said things to people that have hurt them, we want to say sorry today. If we've been quick to judge, we want to say sorry today. If we've been slow to bless, we want to say sorry today. And we want to receive your life and your love into our hearts again this morning. Because Lord, you can tame the tongue. You can bring every area of our lives under your lordship. We can become a people from whom fresh, sweet water flows to those around us. So come Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Bless you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. And you can use your words in your heart now just to invite Jesus again into your heart. We have this wonderful gift of words that God has given us, language. And we can communicate with our Heavenly Father. And we say, Jesus, would you come again into my life? You might want to invite me into your life for the first time today. Invite me into your heart. Say, Lord, I'm acutely aware of how much I need you. One of the greatest Christian men who ever lived said, I'm an example of God's immense patience. How much more can we just say to God, would you come and help me? Would you come and help me? Would you come and fill me with your love and grace? Come, Lord Jesus. We welcome your spirit. Lord, anything that's creating bitterness in you, we want to give it to you today. We want to give it to you today, Lord. Bless you, Jesus. So, Lord, would you help us this week to use our words wisely? Use our words to bless, to build up. God, would you help us catch those words that are unhelpful? God, help us speak life and love to the people around us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable then visit our website at riversideuk.org Also you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>